family. This is Justine, and I am joined today by a very special guest. I have got Kate Manson, the CEO of Tarot CBD. Um, she was on the Women in Cannabis webinar panel that I participated in recently, and I just had to talk to Kate one-on-one. Um, so I'm really excited. Welcome, Kate. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, thank you. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do in cannabis and kind of what brought you there. Absolutely. So I grew up around cannabis. It was something that was in my house from a young age. Both my parents have been using it for as long as I can remember, um, obviously responsibly as parents. But it was something that was there and something that, you know, I was always interested in and in high school. Um, started smoking cannabis to really help with ADHD and anxiety. And that just kind of fueled this like counterculture lifestyle that I've kind of taken on from a young age. Um, And so really working in the cannabis space, I started growing cannabis in 2009. Um, When I was in college, there was a bunch of classes I couldn't take unless I took time off of work and I couldn't afford to take time off of work. So I'm like, well, how am I going to supplement my income? Um, And I had a lot of friends that grew. And so, you know, that was really my first foray into cannabis. You know, fast forward, you know, 10 years, I worked as the VP of marketing at WikiLeaf. Um, I left there after a few years to start my own marketing agency and then actually uh, closed my marketing agency about a year ago um, to focus on Tarot Full Time, which is a direct-to-consumer CBD company. You can find it online and in select retailers across the nation. And then I also have a cannabis edible company here in Oklahoma called Golden Hour. And I'm just about to launch a cannabis homewares line um, that focuses on like botanical prints with cannabis mixed in for your home and like pillows, um, baths, and like a bath curtain, all of those things. Um, So that's kind of what I'm doing currently uh, as far as being, you know, directly in the cannabis space. That's awesome. I can't wait to decorate my house with all of these cool (laughs) cannabis stuff once I see those come out today or tomorrow we're going to be launching we're just waiting on like one little piece from shopify as usual so oh yeah of course (laughs) (laughs) perfect um so with all that you have done in the cannabis industry so far what have you found to be like the most challenging thing to what either adjust to or to kind of meet the standards or anything like that For sure. So uh, two things come to mind. One is a lack of professionalism with communication. So I used to work at Nordstrom Corporate and we had, you know, a set like you need to respond to emails within 48 hours. And here in the cannabis space, you're like, you need to respond to emails within 365 days. (laughs) That to me is really frustrating, you know, And, and just having those communication interactions where you'll walk into a dispensary and I'll be, you know, chatting about my edibles and the buyer will be right there and be like, oh, I'm too busy to talk right now. And it's like, well, I've tried to text you. I've tried to email you. You want me to set an appointment? You're sitting here. I can take three minutes of your time. And they're just like, oh, I can't do that right now. And so it's just this weird, I don't know, kind of space where we haven't quite hit the professionalism as in other markets. And then I would say the other thing is obviously just the regulations on what we can and can't do. Like, I feel like I'm in a constant battle with Facebook on advertising or like I just mentioned, Shopify is holding payments for 
a company that is not anything to do with CBD or THC, literally just homewares because there is a cannabis print and the website does say cannabis. So I think those two things are like the most challenging when thinking about starting a cannabis business or being in the cannabis space. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I've heard many, many times that just because you are doing something like adjacent to cannabis, it puts all these roadblocks in your way. Um, so what are you doing to kind of overcome those roadblocks? Absolutely. So as far as like Facebook advertising, advertising in general, we've taken kind of a a different stance in terms of where we spend dollars. Um, and so we spend a lot more now on SEO, on influencer content, on, uh, developing creative content for TikTok. Um, and then we have actually gone as far as to buy Facebook accounts to then get clean ads um, running, which is, you know, a whole other, you know, muddle of problems in itself. But, you know, we're just figuring out as it goes. Um, and then as far as like communication goes, like I, you know, will tell people like, hey, it would be really nice if you could get back to me or, hey, I saw that you opened my email. I track all of my emails with this plugin called Streak. If you don't have it, like. It's fantastic. You can see exactly when somebody opens, how many times they've opened. And so I'll call, I'll literally call them out and be like, Hey, I saw that you opened my email and haven't responded. Is there something, you know, in addition to this email that you need in order to form a response or can we hop on the phone? Um, I don't think people really like that, but you know, it just gets the point across that like, Hey, people can see you and it's visible. So maybe you should take your job more seriously too. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, you know, when people are more assertive like you are, I do hear people, I mean, obviously not about you particularly, but there is a lot of like, people get very reactive when they're uh, confronted by somebody who's very assertive like you. Me personally, I'm like, yeah, I love that. You do your thing. Like, tell me exactly what I'm doing wrong, what you need from me, and I will make it happen. I respect it. So I think you having that attitude um, has probably very much benefited in getting you to where you are today. Um, And one thing that I did want to bring up that you had mentioned when we were on the webinar panel, um, I think the question was something along the lines of, um, you know, what do you do to, I guess, kind of assert yourself as a woman in the cannabis industry? And you had an answer that really stuck with me that I've thought about um, because you mentioned that as a woman you feel that you have to kind of match the masculine energy in the world or in the room like if you're in a a room with other CEOs and they're all men and you're the only woman um, you got to bring that kind of masculine energy to the table to almost level set things Um, so how how did you kind of learn that that's what was necessary and what does like bringing masculine energy into the room mean to you? Absolutely. So prior to working in cannabis, I also worked in like the skateboard snowboard industry, which is predominantly male right after college, I was a sports agent. Um, and so obviously another predominantly male industry. Uh, so really learned at a very young age that if I was to show, you know, emotion 
like crying or getting physically upset. Like people would look at me and say like, oh, that's just a woman being a woman. And so I really got, you know, good at masking my emotions until I got home. Also not sharing a lot of personal details. Um, And then the other piece too, is like you're saying, being assertive, like I'm not going to apologize or I've been asked in meetings to grab people water. And I'm like, oh no, you can grab that. Um, you know, and, and it's just like having those quick reactions and being like, wait a second, is this a test of, you know, who's the alpha and who's, you know, who's not? And if so, like, I, I just quickly go, oh, well, if I do this, what's going to happen and how are they going to look at me later if I, you know, concede and do this for them? So for me, you know, it's bringing that masculine energy. There are also times, though, where feminine energy, you know, has its advantages um, you know, being on panels, I've been picked to be on so many panels just because I'm a woman. And it's like, well, I hate that you're doing that, but I also love that you're doing that. So I kind of have to be okay with this as well. So I think that's how I bring, you know, masculine energy to the conversation. Yeah, that's awesome. And I definitely agree with you where, um, you know, there are things that I've been asked to participate in. Cause they're like, cause you're a woman in the industry. I'm like, well, I'm a, person in the industry yeah. but i guess if you know if my gender is gonna help me get heard on a different platform by a different audience then sure let's go with that that's totally fine well, i've also pitched that too like i'll see panels and I'll, I'll literally email the producer and go hey i see that you only have men um if you need a woman i'm happy to jump in and be that you know that feminine voice on that panel then i come in and i have this very masculine energy so they're like Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> Here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I think like um, I was looking at the Tarot CBD website before we jumped on here and I I can kind of see both. I mean, I, I think that the branding looks very feminine. It's um, very much targeted towards more of like a, a spiritual type audience or consumer. Um, I think it all looks beautiful, but it's it's not like oh here like use these drops to release your feminine essence or anything like that necessarily it's just like here we have this product this is how it works this is what it will help you with and look it's also beautiful isn't this cute (laughs) well and it's funny you mentioned that too so a huge base of my clientele like as far as like subscription renewal clients are men who are the age of like 60 to 85. Yesterday I had a phone call with like an 85 year old customer in Florida who was wondering where a shipment was and all of these things. And I'm like, how did you even find us? Right. <laughs> and thank you, but how did you find us? And how did you land on our website? Like who, who got you here? And he's like, I just found you through searching on the internet. And I'm like, okay, like this is great. Like you are totally not the target customer in my mind. But <laughs> <you're> here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be very interesting to, um, you know, there's another woman owned and operated CBD company that we've had on the show before um, called Equilibria. And I just can't imagine, you know, their their agents that are doing their consultations and stuff having to explain to like my dad how they're, they're like specifically formulated for women CBD products are going to benefit him. But I mean, to each their own, if you're looking to get into the world of CBD and you find a website that seems very friendly and inviting to you and you give it a shot and you get great customer service. And I mean, somebody getting to talk to the CEO when they're having a problem makes a huge difference. Um, so I think it's it's pretty cool that you guys have a diverse group of consumers. 
it is. It's really, it's really fun. And it's really fun to see like Instagram friendships turn into customers, turn into collaborations and just seeing how all of it organically unfolds. It's been a really cool journey for the last like two years. Yeah. Um, so how has the cannabis industry changed since you got into it? You said in 20... 2009. 2009, yes. Um, obviously, it's changed a lot. So in 2009, when I was growing, it was medical in Washington State. That's where I was you know, from. And so that was a very wild west time of basically, you know, I don't want to say it was illegal, but it definitely wasn't regulated in any way. So, you know, there was a lot of interesting things that happened that really shaped, you know, how the cannabis industry has grown. Um, I think now what you're seeing is a lot more people from outside of the space or people who don't even consume the plant jumping in and really trying to change the conversation. And if I hear, oh, we're, we're targeting the soccer mom one more time, like I'm literally <laughs> out. Um, and so that's, you know, the, the, this change that I'm seeing that I don't like is that a lot of people are coming in that don't have respect for the plant that just see it as a money-making conversation. You know, the positive though, is that you are seeing acceptance. You are seeing collaborations on a brand level that, you know, 10 years ago wouldn't have been possible. You're seeing advertising in places where you, you're like, wow, is that a Super Bowl ad that did something about CBD and so to me, that's like the really, really cool piece of the growth of the industry. The other part is obviously just seeing the product development and the evolution and what people are coming up with. Like I'm always fascinated by new products and packaging, um, how they are using different cannabinoids in products, how they're, you know, combining THC and Delta 8 and CBD to create, you know, really interesting profiles. So that piece to me is like the most fascinating. Yeah. Um, so I kind of had like a, a thought while you were speaking there, because it, it sounds like you do have like the, the retail experience, the marketing, the branding experience. Um, so what made you get into cultivation instead of, you know, going after dispensary licenses or anything like that? Why growing? I guess it was the capital to be totally honest. Um, you know, opening a dispensary is not a small feat. Um, regardless of where you're opening it, you're going to be spending upwards of a hundred thousand dollars. And that's something that I've never had access to. Um, growing was an easy, you know, entry point, uh, because I had so many friends that grew cannabis that had extra equipment that could come over and help me and talk me through it. Um, that was really, you know, the preface for me growing. Um, now as a brand owner, I still run into the capital issue where, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to have imposter syndrome or watch other brands who have more money do bigger and better things. Um, but you know, that, you know, the, the catalyst for growing was really capital. Also, you know, a deep love and appreciation for the plant. Um, I think at the time when I stepped into the industry, owning a dispensary was, literally owning a storefront that was like kind of licensed that could be raided at any time. So there was you know, a lot more risk. You could kind of hide behind the curtain a little bit when you were growing back in the day. Um, now I look at all of, you know, the different facets of the business that I've been in and I'm like, man, maybe I should have just stuck to one and really ran with it. But instead I'm like a jack of, you know, all trades, but a master of none. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that it helps to make you like more well-rounded in the industry and, um, 
you know, from my experience of working in the retail space directly with customers, you know, being a bud tender and now moving into a role where I, I support the program that the bud tenders use to make the sales. And so it's, it's good to be able to see it from multiple sides. You know, if you're, if your CBD supplier has a bad harvest or something, and all of a sudden you've got less product to work with than you did previously, you can understand that that can happen because you've been in the cultivator's shoes. You understand, you know, their plants. Sometimes they can be unpredictable. You can try your best. Um, so I think that it's it's very smart of you to have done multiple things within the industry. Well, thank you. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, like I said, master of none. So uh, it's always fascinating learning something new. Like this week, I'm taking on the just implemented metric in Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was at WikiLeaf, I handled a lot of the partner integrations with companies like GrowFlow to like help figure out how to have like real time menu and things. So this week, like my whole task was just learning metric front to back so that we're in compliance, which I have been dreading. The deadline for it is the 30th. I procrastinated like up until this point. And I'm like, okay, it's serious. I have to do that this week. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can, uh, once we're off air, I can bring you into some like behind the scenes conversations that are at least happening at my company. As far as metric goes, I don't want to sit here and bore my audience with all the details of what I go through in a day and <laughs> what I have to talk about. <laughs> um, so what would you say, um, like from your experience in cultivation, if there's anything that you want to kind of like pull back the curtain for our listeners who have not been in a cultivation facility or haven't worked in that type of role, um, what kind of things would you want people to know so that they can better understand the cannabis industry? It's not easy. So everybody is like, oh, growing weed is easy. It's just a plant. It is not easy. There are so many factors that grow and go into like a good end quality product. And there's so much trial and error in getting to that good like end quality. It could be genetics. It could be lights. It could be humidity. It could be temperature. It could be nutrients. It could be deficiencies. It could be the water you're using. And so having, you know, ample respect for people who are growing and growing amazing cannabis because that doesn't happen overnight that's something that is years of information and trying i think that's one thing that people really uh don't think about they just think about the end product they don't realize what goes into it yeah um was that something that you were surprised by when you got into cultivation Absolutely. And I am by no way a green thumb. Like my house plants are tragic. (laughs) My gardening, like outside, especially in Oklahoma, it's hard to grow things here. Like also tragedy growing cannabis was something that I was fortunate enough to have somebody who had been doing it for like 10 or 15 years to teach me the ropes. And still by no means am I a master at that. I can look at a grow room and say like, Oh, here's some things that you need to change. But as far as being like a complete master guru, like absolutely not. So you are now, you said Golden Hour is based out of Oklahoma. You guys are doing edibles. Is that correct? Edibles and we're launching infused blunts in like the next three weeks. So our packaging lands, those babies are going on the shelves. 
That's amazing. Are you, um, have you already kind of gone out and done the legwork to make sure that it's going to be in plenty of stores? Cause I know the competition out there in Oklahoma is insane. So we fortunately have a leg up just because our mints are already in quite a few stores. Um, we also have built a lot of relationships in this space, um, to kind of guarantee that they're going to be on the shelves of some of the top dispensaries but ultimately it's an unknown there are a lot of dispensaries in Oklahoma that don't have budget to buy product or when they do buy product they buy 10 units at a time so it's really like sorting sifting and finding the partners um I don't think we're going to be in 200 doors you know immediately everything takes time and, and having the expectations that it takes time I think is really important yeah, absolutely. So what made you choose Oklahoma? Oh, gosh. Um, so we, my partner in, in life, had a farm in Washington State. And two and a half years ago, everything was hitting like an all-time low in terms of price. Um, in Washington, what they did is they allowed like 2,000 processing license, 2,000 growing license, and only about 400 dispensary licenses. So there is a race to the bottom on price and a, you know, obviously everybody wants shelf space. So when Oklahoma opened up, we had some friends here and the licensing here was incredibly easy. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it was $2,500 per license plus a two-year residency. Um, and so when we saw that, we're like, well, here's an opportunity to capture a new market. In no way did we think Oklahoma was going to be the market that it is. Uh, I think it's supposed to hit a billion dollars um, in the next year. So that's kind of how we ended up in Oklahoma. Um, so my partner is uh, in a group that has a vertically integrated company with a grow and a processing facility and a few dispensaries in Oklahoma. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And one of the things that I have noticed about the license holders out in Oklahoma um, they do like to partner up. They do want to give it a shot with vertical integration um, while still keeping it from being like super corporate cannabis, um, yeah. like you see here in Illinois. And so I think that their market that they have down there is very interesting. They are very proud to be from Oklahoma and love local products. So that was one thing that we had to overcome as this outside group coming in is people would actually turn away from what we were doing because we weren't from Oklahoma. So it's a very tight knit group of people. Um, obviously we've now been fortunate enough to be here for two years. We've made a lot of good friendships and connections in the industry, but still we are the outsiders. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally see that. And I mean, um, you know, it's interesting in Midwest states how an entire state can become a community and, you know, kind of band together and be like, we can't let anybody else in here in our our industry. And um, so I think that you guys made a good choice with going to Oklahoma. I know I've seen some um, bills that have been proposed out there to now start unfortunately, removing licenses um, or and capping the number of licenses that they have. And how how do you think that that's going to impact the market? Like one, because it, it definitely seems like they're targeting kind of the mom and pop shops. Well, I see it as a negative for those shops, but I see it as a positive for those shops as well, because like I was mentioning, a lot of people have come here and opened businesses 
who or are from here and open businesses who don't know anything about the cannabis space and are jumping in just because it's a money grab and realizing that it's an incredibly volatile industry um, and you need to have either a lot of resources or a lot of time to commit to build your business. Um, so unfortunately, there are a lot of shops going out of business, but when you are in a position where you have a dispensary and you can't afford to put product on the shelves, then, you know, capping those licenses, you know, is going to be a hard truth for a lot of people, but I think it will also weed out the businesses that aren't necessarily running either up to regulation or don't have the wherewithal to run a successful business. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you. And, um, you know, I know from what I've seen as far as compliance goes out out there, it's kind of a mixed bag. <laughs> You've got people that have their, their very own interpretations of the rules, um, which are not necessarily correct. But yeah, I, but the rules are very vague. So here's a perfect example as we hosted an event for Golden Hour in April, and I went through every OMA regulation to try and figure out if I could hand out live product, how to do it, not a single word in the entire, you know, 90 page document about what I can do with samples and who I can give them to. So like, coming from a heavily regulated state, I'm like, well, yeah, this is great. Let's just, you know, get people samples until they tell us we can't. Um, and then we had some sponsors at our event who were very concerned about that. And I'm like, if there's no rules and regulations around it, like enjoy this time because it's coming and pretty soon you're not going to be able to do anything. <laughs> so, yeah. but you know, there's that interpretation, there's packaging interpretations. There's so many different rules that are just missing, you know, a huge chunk of language that would really clear it up. And, you know, the frustration with metric in this state is, metric has more rules than our OMA regulations. So we're, you know, figuring out metric and we don't even have to follow those rules based on state guidelines. So it's this really weird back and forth that we're having here, um, trying to be compliant and then also not understanding what compliance is. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that um, Golden Hour has the potential to become an MSO, multi-state operator? Like, do you see branching out to other states? It's funny you mentioned that. I actually have a call with a friend on Friday to discuss bringing the blunts into Washington. Nice. Um, I think with the mints, they were a really fun trial product and they were good to get our name out, but they are not the seller that we expected them to be, um, especially in this market. People for edibles are trending more towards the gummy candy chocolate um, and less towards you know a healthier, more discreet option. So definitely the blunts, the mints were still like, what are we going to do with those? Um, we're also looking at bringing in some of the tarot tinctures into the THC market here as well. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. And especially, you know, somewhere out in Washington, kind of Pacific Northwest, if you had a product that had tarot on it on the shelf, I think it would sell very well, no matter what it is. Um, and I also wanted to mention one of my, like the the craziest thing about the OMMA law that I know of when it comes to edibles is there is no cap on strength. Your purchase limit is purely determined by the physical weight of that product. Yes. And what was crazy is somebody here for 420 made a 4,000 milligram edible. And I'm just like, what is like, I was like, that edible is going to be the end of this 
acceptable market. Like oh, something yeah. bad is going to happen. Luckily nothing did, but it, it, I mean, it is wild. Like the, the milligrams, I'm, my mind is blown. Like I'm, I'm happy with like 10 milligrams, 20, if I'm like really stressed or just, you know, want to relax, but people here are like, Oh, 500 milligrams. No thing. I'll just eat that and go about my day. And I'm like, right. like what do you, I would cry. I would literally cry and be on the couch in like a comatose state, I think. Yeah, I think I saw a picture of one of those 4,000 milligram gummies or edibles on Reddit the other day. And I had to stare at it for a minute and because somebody had posted like, going to eat this bar because it's Father's Day, like, wish me luck. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if I eat 100 milligrams and try to go out in public, I like black out. Like, what would I do with 4,000 milligrams? That's insane. I have never, like 20 milligrams is my cap. 4,000, I would be high for, you would be high for days. Um, yeah, I can't, that, that, that is a mind blowing thing for me. But, you know, if people are responsible and understand their limits, like more power to them. Enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. What, uh, just since we're already on the subject, what strength do your mints come in? They are 10 milligrams a piece, 200 milligrams in a tin. So there's 20 mints total. That's a very responsible dosage. Yeah. I think that, <laughs> yeah, I think that that's, uh, something that processors are not taking into account is what is responsible, you know, just because you can make a 4,000 milligram edible, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> Well, the other piece, you know, is also the taste and quality. So packing so much distillate into something, I can only imagine what that chocolate bar tastes like. Mm -hmm. um, as far as mints go, like they're, they're small. So you can only put so much material in them and make a mint at the same time. So that's something that we had to be really cognizant of too. Yeah, absolutely. I think on that, that packaging of the 4,000 milligram edible, it did say it tastes like shit. So they were very upfront about it. Only imagine. <laughs> cool. Well, um, so I think we kind of covered this with asking if you guys are, are going to be in multiple states, but what's next for you in cannabis? Oh, gosh. Well, what's funny that you mentioned is I'm actually looking at a couple of business ventures outside of cannabis. Um, I think right now I'm focusing, you know, solely all cannabis and energy on Golden Hour. I just brought on a co-founder for Tarot, um, obviously launching this homewares line. But now I'm looking outside of the space at other business opportunities. So I'm actually looking at purchasing some laundromats, um, which is funny because drugs and laundromats go together like, you know, Right. Um, I'm also looking at getting more into real estate and investment properties here in Oklahoma. So that's where, you know, my next venture is, I think the cannabis space is great. I'm also getting a little bit tired uh, of, you know, working and dealing in regulation. What I would like to do is really start consulting more um, with people on the ideas that they have just getting into the space and helping them shape those. Um, but golden hour, you know, is taking up 90% of my time, you know, trying to get that into stores, product development, running a sales team, doing all of the marketing for that. So I think I'm good. My boyfriend told me I can't take on any more projects right now. <laughs> <laughs> like you need to, you need to pull back. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, probably not a bad idea, but you know, some people are just unstoppable. Yeah. You just can't hold them back. I just um, get an idea in my head and I'm like, I got to do it. 
And so like, I, like three weeks ago, I was like, I'm going to own some laundromats. He's like, what are you talking about? And like yesterday I'm like on the phone with brokers. I'm like, I'm going to go to New York at this one of the month. And laundromats He's like, you're nuts. I was like, I know, like, just like, I'm going for it. Like, like you know, other, other business ventures. Yeah. Well, I think your consulting idea sounds really good. I mean, I, I think it's definitely something that is needed that, A lot of people want to get into the cannabis industry. A lot of people have just, you know, kind of a vague idea of what they would want to do. So I think having someone who has experience that can kind of shape that up into something that's actually viable and profitable, um, that's that's like a, a really good tool to have in your tool belt as a future potential business owner. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of people that need to hear some hard facts about what it looks like to get into the cannabis space. I've done a little bit of consulting here more recently with a vertically integrated company who was, you know, pricing their cannabis by what they needed to pay their bills and not market value. And it's like, you can't do that in this space. You you really have to understand the market. You've got to go into dispensaries. You've got to look at hundreds of pounds of weed to understand like what the value is. And so I think you know, especially with new markets, helping people understand their strengths and weaknesses is going to be a valuable business model for anyone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any last minute thoughts for our listeners? Um, I always like to say in this space, like no is negotiable. So just if somebody tells you no, just continue to ask questions until you either get a yes or find the person that's going to give you a yes. Um, You will get a lot of closed doors. You will run into a lot of issues. I'm not saying this to put you off or say like, don't get into cannabis or don't stay in it, but there's always an option or a way to work with a no to turn it into a yes or turn it into something that's going to help propel your business um, and and put you on the right track. Awesome. Very, very good advice. Um, And real quick, where can our listeners find you or any of your brands on social media? Absolutely. So we are at Tarot CBD on Instagram and we are Golden Hour Delights on Instagram. Um, my personal Instagram is just Kate underscore Manson. Um, and then all of our websites are the same as our Instagram handles. Nice. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to talk to me. Um, this has been really informative. I feel like I've learned a lot and I think your experience in the industry is going to be very valuable to a lot of people. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. I'm like, now I want to get, I, every time I do a podcast, I'm like, now I want to hear about you. Like, can we do an hour about you? <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I'll let you interview me back sometime. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Thank you.